It's Robert Gowan sitting here at 15 Perry Street with the sidekick. Hey, it's Kyle. How are you guys? So um, we've got a guest that was back here, and I'm trying to remember. It's Jeff Morris, by the way. I'm going to just go ahead and first say that. Jeff, thanks for coming. Nah, great to be back. And I'm trying to remember the number. I'm sure you remember. The number I don't remember oh. it was August of uh, 21. Okay, wow. Like early August. All right, so year and a half. 80 or something around there. Okay. Yeah. Probably uh, something of that nature. Jeff wrote a book, Legion Rising. And if you haven't listened to the episode, go find Legion Rising. It has his name, Jeff Morris. If you look there, it, the whole thing's, I think, in the title. That's what it's called, Legion Rising. I think so, yeah. 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 And um, congratulations, by the way, turned um, hard book or hard cover. Yeah, yeah. It kind of went the the opposite of how things normally go. Normally, you know, book will come out, be published in, in hardcover, and then after X amount of time, it'll come back and go to paper back then. Uh, you know, back then was a guy that no one's ever heard of, so had a hard time getting a publisher, thought we had a good story, but, you know, who the hell is this guy? So went the paperback route, and so fast forward three and a half years later, I'm still a guy that no one has any idea who the hell that guy is. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> but my co-writer, Lauren, uh, so if you go to the original copy that, that you had back then, it had Elsie Mickler, and that was her first book. And since then, her career has really taken off, and she's uh, she's got some really cool projects. Not only have published some really cool projects, a few of, few of them were true ghostwriting, so like strict NDAs. You can't say you know who they were, but they've done very well. Uh, but now her career has progressed to a point where you know, her name is first and foremost, you know, kind of in the title. Uh, her most recent one is, it's called Flying the Tyrant. And it's the story of Saddam Hussein's pilot. Yeah. And actually we're looking at uh, arranging him to come on our podcast. So uh, be yeah. on the lookout for that if you're listening yeah. to this, you know. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, Spo yeah exactly. <laughs> she reached out to me and said, hey, I don't know if this is of interest and everything, but it's like, yeah, this yeah. is definitely I, of interest. Absolutely. Yeah. That yeah. I may or may not have told her to reach out. Okay. <laughs> Good. Neither confirm nor deny. But yeah, so again, uh, since then, uh, she's gotten remarried, new last name. And so it kind of started with the publisher of, you know, hey, can we go and update, you know, the old version It still had me living in Texas. I live in Indiana now. She got a new name and like, hey, can we do that? And like, hey, her career is going really well. So I sent her, sent the publisher some of her details. And like the next day they were like, hey, the book's done one so well for us. We want to go ahead and put it out in hardcover. So yeah, pretty exciting. I mean, it doesn't, there's no new content in the book, uh, but just I don't know. It's just something more tangible, a little more real almost having that hardcover version. So uh, it doesn't mean anything. It just maybe it means something special to Lauren and I. Yeah. No, I think it does mean something. Then it means everything at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, yeah. You have something that you can put on a library shelf if you have a library at your house or a bookshelf at your house that is, you know, that's that's the kind of stuff you're going to keep. You're not keeping smoking the cigar and a jacket. You, know, you got a, a lot of, <laughs> uh, smoky a lot of room. leather, a lot of mahogany yeah. in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, but no, that's very cool, man. I'm, I'm happy for you. And I know that uh, since this time frame, since you came on the podcast, you've been doing all kinds of crazy things like you were talking about traveling all over, guest speaking, um, those types of things. It's really been, I think, pretty, pretty good for you. You know, I mean, you're getting your message out there, which is what's most important, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, part of the travel has been work. And last year, you know, I started getting this it started with a CrossFit workout, if you remember, and I was yeah. speaking, but I was telling somebody else's story. I was talking about the men and what Legion 8 was about. And then from that ultimately led to the book and then more people like, you know, hey, can you take a lot of what you talked about in the book, maybe inadvertently were leadership lessons, you know, how to handle adversity, all things that can translate to, 
you know, the corporate world. And so a few years ago I got hooked up, I think it was actually right after I was on your, I think I listened to it driving down there for my, one of my first speeches, uh, to a business. And so, you know, take the message, a lot of what we talked about, but apply the lessons and how they, and being in the corporate America myself, I can take certain examples from the book, the message of what we speak about and find a way to tie those into how it can apply to someone who's never served, but you know, they hold an executive position in a company, whatever it may be, or it doesn't have to be an executive, anybody in a company, a leadership challenge, uh, dealing with people, people of diverse backgrounds, when to stop, kind of take a tactical pause and realize that, you know, you don't have to have all the answers right away, but sometimes you do have to act decisively and, you know, you'll think sometimes violence of action can overcome a lot of mistakes. Sometimes that applies and sometimes it doesn't. So, yeah, so it's been good and, you know, it, it grew, it was kind of had to slow it down a little bit. You know, my wife travels for work. I mentioned to you beforehand, we had a stretch of about six months last year where we were both home outside of a vacation we took. There was only two weeks we were both home and with three young kids just kind of said, you know what, work's keeping me busy enough. Let's maybe back off the speaking, get into the new year and hopefully get back at it, you know, back after it soon. Yeah, man, I, I tell you what, I'm glad that you came back on. It's been a while and, uh, and uh, we, we've stayed in touch and stuff, you know, through the time frame and um, one of the uh, places that you spoke uh, in, or gave a speech on was um, an organization that in the construction business, the depression is really high. Yep. And you may see the same thing in uh, cows in that line of business. And, you know, um, and, and I think it was when I the feedback that I got was tremendous of what you left in terms of a message about dealing with the demons in your life and depression and those types of things. And so I think you're doing amazing things out there. And man, I'm just loving watching you blaze the trail, you know, we're trying and thank you again for that introduction. It yeah, pretty no worries. interesting tie in. So just a little backstory is, and you just touched on a lot, the, the company that I got associated with, it was really more of an association was in the construction industry. And then from that led to, you know, your connection. So there was just a, a pretty unique tie in, which is hopefully going to lead to some other opportunities with that separate organization that you got me involved with. So yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, no worries. So um, what we wanted to talk about, I think more this time around was we got a little deep the last time, obviously yeah. the book is, is that way. Um, it's an amazing book. Again, I can't state it enough. Um, I actually read it. Um, you're from Destin and I actually was sitting on the beach down there in the pain handle and was uh, um, setting out. I wasn't in the sun because I'm not much of a, a person that can get much of a tan or anything, but um, I was sitting underneath the uh, the umbrella and reading your book, and I think I read it in that one seating, uh, probably about a two hour read, three hour read or something. And I get done and and uh, just emotionally spent, and um, my eyes were red. My wife looked at me and she goes, "I, you know, how was it?" And I go, "It was probably by far the best book I've ever read," and I wholeheartedly mean that. It Thank was you. an amazing book. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, definitely uh, encourage everybody to go out and get it. So, but there was some stories and things that, you know, in your life that kind of happened that we don't always get a, ch a chance to talk about always when you write a book or something like that. We focus on the story and the back and, and all of that, but there are all, always things that just happen in life in general, you know, and never get told about it. And I mean, you share some stories of some things that um, maybe might, might be a little bit different or unique than the average soldier gets to experience um i don't know is can is the, the whole thing with having your wife uh come in and, and those types of things normal and what you were talking about yeah uh, yeah and and kind of to touch a little bit more i mean you're right it was and again i love talking about it and i love sharing these things but it is you know 
the opportunity a lot about the book. It's, it's heavy content. It's hard. I'm like, God, I feel like sometimes, you know, people come up, they're like, Oh, I cried when I read the book. I was crying during your speech. I'm like, dude, I'm, I like to laugh. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, right. time. Like, you know, I'm really still good. a bro. Just, yeah, you know, yeah. We can still hang out, you yeah. know, and have a good time. So, you know, that's what I was, when we were texting the night, I was like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's stuff that didn't make the book. There's other things outside of that. And I mean, yeah, there's some other heavier, serious content that we well you were covering some stuff and i was i was honestly cracking up when you were sending it to me like you know we were sitting in that meeting just across from each other reading the stuff i was like yeah that'd be great to talk (laughs) yeah so i was like you know can we maybe laugh instead of not cry like right right last time but now the the one you're talking about it's just always one people ask me they're like you know outside of the combat stuff you know and everything that goes on like is there anything that just seemed like that you'll just like never forget you know like just something different it can be funny serious and and I was like, you know, one of the most surreal things outside of all that crazy crap that we went through was me and my first sergeant and the company commander and the first sergeant for our support company. Uh, one of my soldiers was married to one of their soldiers and they had a deal set up where they could have one conjugal visit a week or two weeks, whatever it was. And so whenever that happened, I mean, you're in that world and boys will be boys. Like we would literally have to clear the barracks out. And the four senior leaders of the, you know, the two companies would sit and basically pull security on this hallway. No way. Nice. (laughs) That is leadership at its finest. We had to stay far enough. You know, they had to have privacy. And so we would sit there and, uh, you know, we set it up, you know, sitting around smoking cigars and just like, how weird is this? We're just sitting around a bunch of dudes, rockets sometimes, you know, you can hear them, you know, not coming into our base at the time because that would have halted everything going on. But you know, you see in tracers going up in the air and here we are just, it could have been like back here in the States, but you know, when well, your buddy's in there doing his thing with his girl, but no, it was our soldiers. And so for whatever reason, that just always sticks out to me as like one of the most surreal, you know, combat you know, leadership responsibilities I had was pulling security. So my boy could get laid. That's, 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 yeah. that's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. I don't know that if somebody can trump that, you're going to have to let us know. Cause I don't know that you can Yeah, pictures uh, or it didn't happen by the way. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. You know, yeah. Yeah. You have any photos of you guys sitting out there yeah, on the steps and yeah, smoking cigars? Yeah. No, we, you know, we, we, we did take his, I mean, yes, there were a lot of jokes. Yeah. 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 We're boys too, but uh, <laughs> you know, but no, we did take it really seriously and, you know, we'd go out and make sure nobody was trying to peek in the room. And, yeah. You absolutely. know, so we took it as seriously as the situation dictated. <laughs> let me, <laughs> let me rephrase that. That is bizarre, yeah. but never in terms of uh, visits with um, anything else. I mean, it was more of just, this is a spouse, two, two yeah, spouses spouse, happen to be, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Just yep, to clarify. Yes, yeah. yes. It was, it was no like, you know, other. So yeah. were, were both spouses on the same fob or were you guys like on a cop and then you guys no, came same, to a fob? Same fob Rustamaya. Oh, yeah, same. Wow. Yeah. And apparently there were other cases like that too. Now our first, my first deployment, you know, much smaller, there was a couple on there, but I didn't have anything, you know, lowly lieutenant. And so, but this was a much bigger fob Rustamaya. Oh, it's 10 times bigger than fob independence was. So yeah, uh, they had all kind of units there, and I, I guess it was the normal. It was new to me, but apparently it's not normal. And people are like, "Oh yeah, this is what what happens all the time." But yeah, so I mean, it was just just crazy. And again, it's just the funny stuff you don't think about. You know, we get like we had to move one day, so we got there, and Rustamaya was one of the most heavily rocketed fobs uh, in all of Baghdad. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when we get there, uh, there's an overflow of people, you know, soldiers on the fob. So they had these old metal buildings that they put us in. They're like, well, hopefully we, some other people, once they clear out, we'll be able to put you in a concrete building. You know, 
So anyhow, we're in these metal buildings and sure enough, you know, one gets a rocket through it one night. Fortunately, none of our soldiers, they were out on patrol. So they made room, they got us down to the, uh, but I mean, you talk about, you know, 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. I mean, it was just crammed. I mean, six dudes in a room, not much bigger than this. And, you know, you walk over there, you check on the guys and I walk in one day and this one dude, I was like, Hey, you know, we're, we're not going to say his name. And like, you know, where's he at? And, uh, they're like, Oh, he's in there. You just can't see him. And he like had it covered up and draped over. And I'm like, what are you doing in there? And then Mm-mm. he's like, hold on, sir. Give me one second. I'm don't like, open that. Don't open that. Drape. Exactly. You yeah. know what he's doing. Oh, you know exactly yeah, what he's doing. And he was like, hold on, sir. Give me a few more minutes. And, uh, and then like, he's like, all right, I'm done. So he flips it open and I'm like, you know, and I know what he's doing. I'm just like, you know, he's like, Hey sir, check out, check out my setup in here. And I'm like, what? So I mean, these are like tiny bunk beds and I look in there and he had gone and bought mirrors from the little Loki shops the shops that we get on the fobs and he covered like you know across the top and on the side and I was he's like I call it the jack shack many of my guys that are listening they know exactly who it is yeah. but, uh, yeah. that's what happens when you give people expendable income in foreign countries they, yes, they buy exactly. a bunch of mirrors for their bunk to yes. have, a, have a yak shack yep. yeah. yeah so yeah I mean those are some of the funny things and then there's other stuff I mean you, I text you some so yeah like you know one of the things that you had talked about was uh, uh, what was it Bush uh, Bush's was it Bush Jr. Or, yeah. Um, younger yeah so what was the story there uh, so it was yeah, this was 2018 yeah 2018 uh, you kind of got to back up a little bit so a lot of you know, I'd started the Legion 8 stuff in 2012, but I was kind of just coming out of, you know, my dark time. And so it was probably around 2015, 16, when I was still not doing stuff about me. It was all about the men. And uh, it's when I moved over to DFW from Tyler. I'd been there a few years, but I switched CrossFit gyms. And I met this guy in there. And, you know, the gym is the ultimate equalizer. He's just this dude in the gym. And, you know, as it turns out, he's just uh, he's an incredibly... Uh, successful, uh, also humble mentor, friend, and just true salt of the earth, as good as people can come. And so he was really instrumental in uh, getting Legion Aid as a nonprofit, uh, introducing me to a lot of, you know, business leaders in DFW and kind of help get the story about the men out to them to help Legion Aid grow. Uh, but he also just took a very vested interest in me personally and wanted to do things to help my career and, you know, kind of get me and my story out there. And so... One day he sends me this text and he's like, Hey, you and Ann, my wife, he's like, you know, you and Ann want to go to dinner with president Bush. And, uh, it's like, you don't need me to answer that question. And he's like, yeah, so it's, it's a smaller group of people, but he does this every couple of years. And, you know, I won't get into all the, how it's all connected, but the cliff notes is, so we end up at this house in Dallas, which is, you know, like every year they list like the hundred most expensive homes in Dallas. And this one's near the top every year in the top, call it 25%. Uh, and you kind of look around who's all at the meeting and Ann and I made a joke. We're like, do you realize how us being here, how much we have lowered the per capita income of- <laughs> in the room and in the area? Yeah, you're you're yes. the outlier. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. I mean, this house has a museum in it. And when I say museum, it's like a whole floor that is just artifacts from around the world stuff that he donates to, you know, Smithsonian, very high end museums around the country. And so we're up there walking around the museum and, you know, one name I will mention is, uh, you know, just 
looking around at stuff and I kind of, oh, hey, Mr. Perot. My name's Jeff Morris. Nice to meet you. It was Ross Perot uh, before he passed. So yeah, so it kind of gives you an idea of the crowd and how, you know, one of these things, Ann and I is not like the other, like we don't fit in, but so it was cool. So like Bush comes in and well, he comes in and everybody gets to get a picture with him. And the, the whole dinner was called a fireside chat with, with President Bush. And so they, they usher him in and everybody lines up and you go in, it's like a factory. You go in, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. Hi, I'm so-and-so. Smile, boom, get out. And so we walk in and Ann walks in first and she introduced himself herself and then I come in and I'm just like, hey, sir, I just want to say it's an honor to meet my commander in chief, you know, from when I was on active duty. And he's like, oh, really? He's like, what, uh, you know, when were you in? And I told him, he's like, what would you do? And I was like, army. And uh, he's like, you deploy and where? And I told him, and he was like, so you jacked up in the head? You know, just kind of like laughing, saying it. And because uh, I told him I was an army grunt. And yeah, yeah. So smile, take picture, that's it. And then we walk off. So we go and they do this incredible, Ari Fleischer, his former press secretary, kind of narrated it. And they sit up, the house has an amphitheater in it too, a small amphitheater. And so Bush and Ari Fleischer are up there and it's just pros, pros, man. Just the dialogue, teeing them up for questions. And it's very understood, like there's no cell phones out in this. You know, some of the stuff they talk about uh, you know, don't go share on Facebook with your friends. It's again, with that crowd outside of Ann and I, you know, it's kind of an understood thing. Yeah. So I mean, it was just, I tell everybody, it was the most captivated I've ever seen a group of people for an hour and 10 minutes in my life, including ourselves. I mean, it was just all these really incredible stories, funny, really, really funny stuff. Uh, and then with about 20 minutes to go, Ari's like, so now let's talk about your most difficult day ever as a president. And, uh, September 11th. So he takes 20 minutes and just tells you about that day through his eyes, stuff you don't hear about. So yeah, it was awesome. So you get done, you go have dinner. And my friend had set it up with the guy's house where we're at. They were trying to organize like a five minute one-on-one time with he and I just to tell him a little bit about Legion 8, not to, you know, blurb or anything, just to make that connection. And then he was running late and there's some Anyhow, the other guy came over. He's like, hey, the private thing's not going to work. He's like, but before he leaves, I'll let you know. Let's get Jeff down at the end of the hallway. And so uh, 10 minutes later, get a tap on the shoulder. And I got a Legion 8 shirt that I've had, like, tucked on the inside of my jacket all night. And so I go down to the end of the hallway, and it's a Secret Service guy on one end and a Secret Service guy on the other end. And they said he was going to skip dessert, but I guess he didn't. So I'm just standing in this hallway for, like, 10 more minutes. And finally I'm like, Hey, y'all, y'all saw so-and-so said I can come down here. Right. You know, these guys kept eyeing me and they're like, no, nah, no, nah, you're cool. So, uh, so when it happened, so he comes down the hallway and his aide had walked over and met me, wanted to know what we were going to talk about. So he could prep him a little bit, said he doesn't like surprises. And so his age whisper in his ear while he walks down to me and comes up and I was just like, Mr. President said, my name's Jeff. We met earlier. He was like, yes, we did, Jeff. You were in the army, you did two deployments, uh, and you're not jacked up in the head. And uh, just kind of laughed. And and I said, yes, sir. And I said, well, one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, during one of those deployments, I lost eight men under my command, which means that you lost eight men under your command. And I didn't tell a lot of people about this, that I may have this opportunity. Uh, but one of the men that I lost, um, incredibly close with his mother, and so I let her know, and I said, if I get this, is there anything that you want me to say to him? 
And I said, so instead of me telling it to you, I think it'd be more powerful just to let you read what she wrote. And so I'm going to have these pictures of me, like holding my cell phone up, standing next to, to Bush. And so he reads it and just stares at the phone for a little bit. And then he just kind of looks up at me and maybe it was allergies. I don't know, but he had tears in his eyes. Like his eyes were red and they were wet. And uh, he just said, well, what's her name? And I told him and he said, well, you go back and, and I always tell people, I don't share what she wrote and I won't share what he said. He's like, but you go back and tell Linda that Laura and I said this and expressed that. And then uh, I was just like, you know, while I got you, I might as well ask. And I was like, one of the things we do with Legion Aid is, you know, like so many other people, everyone, they always say, I don't want my boy's name, you know, or my girl's name to be forgotten. And I was like, so in all the Legion 8 shirts we do, we put the boys' names on them. So I would, I don't have to be in the picture. I won't post it if you don't want me to. I'll just share it with the families. But I just think it would mean the world for them to, to see that you have one of their shirts, one of our shirts with their boy's name on it. And he was just like, hell no, boy, you get here in the picture with me. So we took a couple of pictures and did that. And then we turned, he just looked at me and he just shook his head. Then he put his, you know, hand up on my shoulder I get you not, he punched me pretty hard. He, yeah. you know, he just like punched me in the shoulder. Then he leaned over and whispered something in my ear that was, you know, pretty, pretty cool. And then he turned and walked out. And so then it's just weird thing. So like at this point, everybody in the dinner room, you know, it's like kids are like, you know, peeking around the corner to see yeah. what's going on. And they see me and him talking because everybody had left a lot of space. And so then it's like, all right, what do I do now? You know, I'm like looking around <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out what's next. And uh, so, yeah, then his aide came back in after that and just said, you know, hey, I don't know what you said to him, but, you know, he asked for a minute outside. He's like, so I got a feeling he'll probably want to, you'll probably be hearing from him again. So can I get your contact info? And uh, yeah, like about two weeks later, we got a really cool letter and a uh, picture of me, him and Ann. Wow, really? Uh, yeah, so it's awesome. really nice words on it. Yeah, so, and we laugh for like the, uh, and I'm not going to get into politics. I always say like, whatever side you're on, like that was a cool moment. It's not that. Yeah, you know, it's true. Yeah, and but the running joke behind it was our mailman must have been a non Republican. Let's just call it that because when the thing came in the mail, it's like huge, you know, from the office of the president of the United States, do not bend. And the thing was like rolled up, oh. but we were able to get it flat. You know, we got it all worked out. So, uh, but it was kind of a joke. We're like, well, the mailman <laughs> probably doesn't like us now. He's going to hide all the mail. Yeah, screw it up though. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of people probably don't even know, or maybe they, they do, but you know, who is Ross Perot? So I just happened to work with somebody who was his chief of staff, and um, she now is a, a good friend. She lives out in Texas still in the Dallas area, and a couple of people that used to work for Perot. But Ross, actually, um, I came in the, the military a long time ago, and I won't say when, but let's just say that there was the Iran, uh, con the Iran hostage uh, crisis and everything that took place, and you know, Ross went out, got a bunch of volunteers, guys that worked with him and everything, got a private plane and uh, went in and got them out. And, you know, I mean, that dude was like serious military supporter. Um, not just that, but, uh, you know, proud American. Of course, he ran for uh, president. Everybody made fun of him because yeah. of the way he talked and the way he looked. And, you know, the press is terrible when it comes to that, the cartoons and the yeah. whole bit. But... Uh, a really cool dude, too, that you got a chance to meet while he was still living. Yeah, I mean, it was a very brief encounter. But ironically, I want to swap names later. I said that guy introduced me to a lot of yeah. business leaders. And uh, one of them was one of his old chief of staff. So mm -hmm. this is probably back in 2000. Female? 15. 
Uh, no, we had lunch together. And, no, I said female. The, uh, no, uh, it's male. Okay, yeah. no, this was a female chief yeah, staff. Yeah, yeah. So I would say, yeah, as soon as you said that, I realized it's got to be a different Yeah, one, but, and yeah. I screwed up in the very beginning. I, I gave the, the name of your book wrong. I said yeah. Legion Rising. It's Legion 8 Rising, right? No, no, it's Legion Rising. Okay, I couldn't yeah. remember. When you said Legion yeah. 8, I, yeah. <laughs> I thought, no, well, no. wait, did I forget no, that? No, no, no. <laughs> but it's, it's really funny you say that because, like, Lauren is an incredible writer. Yeah. And like, all right, I, I can talk and tell stories, and I'd come back and I'd correct a few things. But, like, we had the hardest time with the title. And, you know, everybody, it, we'd get advice. And because when we were doing it, this was when Legion 8, the CrossFit nonprofit, was really getting bigger. And, like, you should kind of capitalize on that. And, two, one, it, like, people, a lot of people, forget this. I was, I was only Legion one deployment. I had a whole other deployment where a whole hell of a lot of other stuff happened, which we actually spent more time in the book telling probably more specific combat details of that deployment. Uh, seems like with the second one with Legion, we kind of just, all right, this happens, things turn to crap, and here's the aftermath. Uh, you know, so I really wanted to Legion, because that's ultimately sort of what my experience has symbolized. You know, like, again, we're all Legion, we all rise together. Uh, but we had so much... So such a hard time with the book and she actually came to me with that one and I didn't like it like she had to talk me into it and finally after probably a month of debate and now I have the time everybody's like, I love the title the title's perfect how she tied it all in and I'm like yeah of course I almost screwed it up but, you know, <laughs> I these other wild and I was gonna say what was the other yeah, titles give us the oh, give me one. titles yeah it was uh this and I'm not trying to avoid the question like I honestly never came up with something that I really thought was good. Like I would, uh, there's a lot of stuff about uh, the only one that ever, you know, I tell the whole story about the mirror and, you know, mm -hmm. cut myself open. And then I talk a lot about shadows and how that was just sort of my analogy for, uh, I had these shadows that just had this control over me. And so I had this idea of like, you know, my shadow in the mirror. Uh, gotcha. Something mm -hmm. that, yeah. know, that was how I always envisioned it, you know, and then finally, after having this idea in my head for a year to you know do a book, I'm like, oh, I should Google and see if someone else has that name. And yeah, it was like some romance novel or something. I'm like, that's, I can't have that's so funny because there are a lot of um, people out there that think they come up with a brilliant idea. Hey, yeah. I got this great idea and everything. And what you realize is if you Google it nowadays, especially, you're going to probably find that no, yep. somebody's it's already already a website. And it's yes. trademarked or copyrighted, <laughs> yeah. and yep. yeah, the whole deal. So. No, I think the title is amazing, and I didn't really focus on the title. Obviously, you know, I found out about you, and I bought the book, and I and I got into it. And uh, but I, when I got done with it, I thought that is a brilliant title, and I yeah. I actually did think that. I thought, what a great tie-in and a great great way of recognizing your unit. And I thought there actually was a tie-in to the unit name that like that's a motto or. You know what I mean? It's sort yeah. of like, you well, know. It was. That was our unit name. It was Legion, the second deployment. Yeah. But it, it was, and again, without getting all the details, it was, you know, the first deployment, what ended up being Legion was Charlie Company 1-9, Crazy Wolf. Yeah. And I was with Alpha Company 1-9, uh, the Annihilators. And again, a lot of stuff happened, that deployment on Haifa Street. It's when we came back that I went over to be the XO of Charlie company. Now, again, we knew those guys we were on the same five worked together every day. So it was like going into an extended family. But, uh, the group that I deployed with that second time, when, when we had to change our name with the reorg, that's when crazy wolf became Legion. Gotcha. And annihilators that actually, that 
Alpha Company went to Fort Bliss. So that's why there's a little bit of separation there. Are any of those units still in existence today? Because, you know, sometimes they fold up the colors, but... Uh, I, I know I got a thing a couple of... A year or two back where the Bravo 1-8, they wanted to change the name to Legion. And, of course, some people raised a stunk and like, you know, hey, Jeff, you should call and make sure, you know, remind them those guys' pictures are still on the wall in there. And I'm like, I was going to say, your mug needs to be on the yeah. wall with the book yeah. and the whole thing. I mean, like. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it was, you know, and I get where some of the guys, you know, like, yeah. that legacy needs to stay on. And But yeah. to me, it's like, you know, a name is a name. It's the experience. It's the men. It's the camaraderie. It's the, the laugh, the cry. Like, a name change is never going to change anything that we experienced or what we have to draw from moving forward. Yeah. Um, you know, what were some of the zaniest or outside of the, uh, the ones you already shared, uh, what were some of the zaniest or craziest things in terms of being, um, a leader, um, that you saw out there and it could have just been, it, it could have been more of a leadership experience as opposed to, um, uh, you know, something like what you described, that is more of a funny story, but do you remember anything that comes yeah. out? Yeah. I mean, one of, and this is probably more on the serious side. Yeah. Again, second deployment, uh, we were in like the heaviest, the, the most heavily IED area in, in Baghdad at the time and probably all of Iraq and where, uh, we were, our patrol base, this is back during the surge where leave the creature comforts with the big fob. So we were the furthest removed of all the units. So we were kind of, you know, out where no one had been since, you know, 04, early 05. And uh, this area right outside Sadr City uh, called, we called it the SUJ. It was like Shara Umjadir, I forget. But if you take that road and go up a little bit further, that's where, or farther, that's where allegedly all the EFPs were made. Like the Iranians had a big presence up there, and that was sort of the you know the main thoroughfare to get the equipment needed uh, for the pressing with the copper plates, and it all tracked through our sector. And we didn't have any problems at first, and then we covered some of this last time, but it was when we started going out towards, the locals told us, avoid that area, but of course we had to go check it out. So we were getting, you know, we talk about the sad story where the men were killed, uh, you know, but like, it wasn't just, those weren't singular events. Like we had Bradley after Bradley. So I had, you know, 15 Bradleys. Now I had one platoon detached. So uh, 11 Bradleys assigned to me across a couple of company uh, platoons. And then it was so bad up there. We were part of a combined arm, arm, combined arms battalion. So they gave me a tank platoon. So I had five M1s. They always had an extra Sweet. on standby. Yeah. yeah. We'll get into yeah. main gun it, that's another serious <laughs> yeah. funny one but uh but yeah but i mean so it was over the course of that spring uh we had and, and i don't know if this is true or not uh but i came in one day uh the, the the short version is we had every bradley coded like we had a stretch where we had no mechanized we were a mechanized infantry company with no mechanized vehicles to take out on patrol Damn. That doesn't mean everyone burned to the ground. Uh, about half of them did. Not that all of them were catastrophic, but you had some yeah. that may have been zapped, some that may have been, you know. Yeah, they figured it out. If they come at this angle, yeah. like once it once it compromises the you know the the core, or the, the hole of the Bradley, they got to coat it. So then you got to wait and get another one in. Yeah. Three of the five M1s, I believe, were coated as well. You know, not from penetrating the unpenetrable armor, but again, from going up into the hole of the vehicle. So, uh yeah, I mean, 
and during that time, you know, you lose six guys in one event, you know, you lose the seventh, a little bit, over, you know, a couple of months, a couple of weeks later after that, uh, the eighth guy, he was actually in one of our platoons that was detached to another company, uh, you know, but just the, from a morale standpoint, I mean, people are like, how do you do it? I'm like, you don't try to do it. You can't polish a turd. Like, you know, you can't go in and like try to sugarcoat this thing. And so I, I think, you know, and I was so, I mean, the senior NCOs I had were incredible and it was all very like-minded. You know, we didn't have a whole lot of like rah-rah guys, you know, we were all kind of on the same page of, you know, we're going to shoot you straight. And yes, this sucks right now. This sucks like nothing we've ever been through before, but we still have a job to do. And we know that job's going to be hard, but, you know, complaining and, and we'll probably touch someone later because I mentioned it to you about just the power of positive mindset. You know, you can't make a positive out of that situation, but you can not let that situation drag you into a darker hole, which when then could potentially take, you know, second, third order effects, you know, you capture somebody, there's detainee abuse, you know, we oh. were very, very, very cognizant of whenever we had someone, and again, not me, this is my, my NCOs, like stepping in, they were as pissed off as any other, you know, Joe and wanted payback, but they would not let anything like that happen. Uh, so I think the, the takeaway, and it's one of the things I talk about in business is like sometimes through the toughest times, and I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before, you know, that experience gave all of us a skill set that we can apply to other areas of our life, parenting, relationship, business, whatever it may be, to draw from that. And while it's not apples to apples, you know, the the experiences from it are. Yeah. Restraint, calmness in, in uh, adversity uh, or challenges and stuff. Yeah. And those types of things are real, you know, I mean, like you said, out here in the private sector, you're going to go against very similar situations and it may be more, may not be life and death per se, but it could be your family's income and the, your ability to survive going forward because you lose employment or you cause other people to lose their job or anything, you know, along that line. But, um, well, there's other second and third order effects to that too. So you yeah. had junior soldiers that were there that saw how mad that section leader or team leader might've been, but he still held restraint. Yep. So they can lean on that experience knowing how, we just lost six guys. We had every reason to curb stomp this dude in a tent while let everybody get a lick in and then turn him over. Yeah. But we didn't, we did the right thing. Yep. Even though it sucked for us, we still did the right thing. Yep. And that that's somebody as a PFC that kind of saw some right and wrong when I was deployed it was a way easier for me to attach myself to the right than to see the wrong and continue to go with that. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, unfortunately, and again, without getting into details, names or, or names, uh, a situation like that did happen, which was kind of ties into the serious, but we're going to make it funny. Uh, it, that did happen with a different company after they lost a guy. And there was someone that we'll just say I've, I was close with who had been a part of our unit, who is now a part of that unit. Uh, in a different position and kind of like walked in and saw it going on and didn't stop it immediately, ultimately stopped it. But like kind of like, and they would tell you, they just froze. <clears throat> they didn't know what to do. So anyhow, like everything, people want scapegoats and his name and another name were uh, brought up and had to get, 
yeah, you know, they had to get a, they had call it charges brought up against them. And so I was asked to go speak on this one guy's behalf at this panel. And it's like a one star, it's the assistant division commander, uh, a one star, and then two of sixes, I think. What is that? A 15, six, and, uh, 15, six yeah, investigation. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm, I'm kind of trying to be vague yeah. here. Just, uh, <laughs> some, you know, some people don't have fond memories about that experience at mm-hmm. all. And, uh, so we get in and I had my little spiel prepared. And at this point, because of this was post all the men dying and, you know, in my unit. And so I don't want to say like all these people, they didn't know who I was because they had been at the memorials and they had come and talked to me and, you know, we had, had other, you know, so it, I wasn't new and they, they were like my best friend and biggest supporter during all that. But when this came up, it was such a hot topic. So, you know, my buddy said his stuff that I went in said my piece and I thought I did pretty good. You know, I was like, all right, I nailed it. You know, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm standing there, you know, all locked up and assistant division commander looks at me. It's like Captain Morse. Like, yes, sir. He was like, with all you've been through this deployment, does it make you feel worse that knows now you have to get out knowing that you helped raise abusive officers? Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Talk about heavy and what? bullshit. I mean, what? <laughs> and it was a shitty, shitty thing to say. Uh, and again, not saying names, but we actually walked out and we both looked at each other, me and my buddy, and like cracked up laughing. I'm like, well, I can add that to the resume now when I get out here. To yeah. Class, yeah. You know? like, <laughs> right. Add that up. And then fast forward, like, gosh, seven years, that same person was now a higher and was on, and, and I forget the context behind it. I just now was sitting there one night. It was he was on, I think it was sixty minutes or some other show, and there was this. They were interviewing him, and then I get this text from my buddy, and it was funny because I was doing the exact same thing, and we had both paused the TV, and we were both giving him the bird, <laughs> sitting at each other at the same time. So like, oh, uh, I thought you were going to talk about karma came back in some no, other yeah. way to it. No, 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 no. I mean, that was just disgusting. But you did have somewhere during that story. Tell us about the M1 experience that you got to. Uh, yeah. Have. Yeah. So you, you brought up tanks. Yeah. So when this tank platoon gets assigned to me, and again, we knew these guys. We had done cross training exercises before. Uh, freaking hilarious. The One of the section leaders are, well, I forget exactly how they're called, but section, section leaders. leaders yeah. In the yeah. And I know it was in Bradley's. They were like that. This dude was hilarious. Uh, like in one of the cross, the first time we ever did a training cross training event with him, uh, he went and bought a blow up porn goat and like hit it in one of the building, you know, where op four was supposed to be. How do you even find those things? Hey, <laughs> what? <laughs> porn goat. <laughs> As people are Googling right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah right. But, uh, but yeah, so then he like attached a radio to it. And so like when other groups, we were playing op four, when people would walk by, he would start talking into it, you know, like, you know, make it, make it sound. <laughs> and then like, people would walk in there and see what it is. And they see it's a sex toy. I mean, just, so that gives you an idea of just awesome, awesome dude. So they come over and I'm like, all right, you know, they're going to be a part of the unit guys. I want to you know ride with you. And you know, I, the last thing I ever want to do is be in the way. So like, where do you put, and sorry for all you loaders out there, but I'm like, where do you put like, the person with the least responsibility where they can't screw anything up. And every one of them is like the loader seat. So I'm like, all right, put me in the loader seat. So we're in there one day and I'm like, you know, look, we know it's a big no, no to fire a main gun round in Baghdad. Like you got to get approval at this time. It was at least. So I'm like in the off chance we ever get in that situation again, I don't want to be a deterrent. So it can't be that hard. So teach me 
how to load a main gun round. And, you know, so they got the thing in front, but they all rip them off, of course. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, you reach in here, you do it, you got this. And that is memory. He's like, you know, you slam it home and he's just like, and then think then. That's all I want you to remember, sir, is think then. And so uh, fast forward a month or so, we're driving down Route Silver's coming up and I'm with the tank platoon that day. And I mean, just a mammoth EFP. Uh, and this was kind of in the middle of, you know, we'd lost the guys and, you know, we're still losing other vehicles. The infantry guys can't even necessarily go out in Bradley's. All they have is Humvees. And they hit the tank in front of us. I mean, it was so powerful. Like, it was probably 100 meters. Uh, and uh, this will resonate with a lot of a lot of the listeners, you know, who have experienced that. You know, you have cracks. And, like, it literally sucked the air out of the tank that I was in, the one that was hit 100 meters in front of us. Like, it just blew the whole, you know, just it, the guys were fine. I mean, they were concussed, you know, but the track was all blown off. Uh, it just, I mean, the dust, I just remember seeing the dust get sucked out as well. It was crazy. And so then the infantry guys come out to start doing setup security. Then we start getting pop shots. And so it's not some coordinated ambush or anything, but there are people from all directions shooting at our guys on the ground. And, you know, they have to get exposed in the open to again recover this thing and so in just one of those like you know i'll face the consequences later like we knew the area enough and where we were positioned like and, and me and the sex we're sitting there talking about it starting to like hey if we put a main gun round through that we know that building's empty we know there's nothing there we know there's nothing behind it except miles of fields like i know we're not in the business of sending a message but like we have to do something to to show them and ourselves that we're not just going to sit here and drive around and get blown up all the time. He was just like, sir, you know, I want to do it. It's like your call. He's like, don't you got to get, and I was just like, probably, but. <laughs> men how, men, however, men, I've how, been wanting to how, do this how, job of loader. And... However, <laughs> however, you know, and, and there was a justification, like we have men on the ground in yeah. a dangerous situation. I was just like, do it. He was, and this dude is freaking awesome. He just looked at me and just like smiled and goes, load that motherfucker. <laughs> so I reached in there and like, and then it's like, everybody's getting pumped up. And so we, what'd you index AP or HE? HE. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, All right. Uh, so, so did so, you go through the whole steps? You hit your knee, pull the, uh, the door goes open. You grab around from the honey count, uh, honeycomb. You slammed the round in first. I tell everybody, pull like, the arm back. You know, I like get on our company net and like, Hey, we're about to do this. And again, we're firing away from our, yeah. it's nowhere near where they're even firing. It's totally just to like, we're going to fight back. It's a show of force. All it is. Yeah. Yeah. Which we're not supposed to do. And, and so then I was just like, all right. And then just grabbed it. And he was just like, slam it home, sir. So I did. And I just remember, I I always laugh so hard because then he, because he said, sir, do you want to fire? And I was like, no, man, you train your whole career for this. So you or you pick somebody else's. It's just, it's just a trigger though. Jeff, you should have jumped up there in the TC and just pulled the trigger. This guy's a, he's a tanker, man. You spend, (laughs) you want to fire one of those things and say, you can tell their kids, like (laughs) I can tell mine. I loaded one in combat. He gets to say that he fired one. So yeah, he just said, uh, he just said, think then, sir, think then. And then just, and then thing went, blew it up. And, uh, you know, no one was shooting after that. And it was just, and again, it sounds so silly after all the crap we had been through. But, like, the guys were so fired up. Like, once we got it recovered and we rolled back into the base, like, you know, starting to what was, like, 
you know, Patton rolling in his tank, you know, like he just comes rolling up with his, they're like all the guys are cheering him on, cheering him on. <laughs> and they come over and they got the casing from it. And then they just walked over and like did this presentation and they were just like, Legion six, you were forever known as red two Lima. <laughs> and they gave it to me. And it, it, as, as a proud infantryman, I always tell everybody like the most adrenaline, just pump moment of my career was being in that tank when that mango went, holy shit, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Two miles down the, uh, the range there is some heat round laying in the sand where it's, Ran in, yeah. slowed down because it yeah. couldn't travel any further. Yeah. Well, you end up as an IED later against <laughs> right. Us, somebody yeah. goes driving by and go, "What? What? What the hell is that thing doing there?" <laughs> yeah, it's just again, it was. Uh, I'm not saying that changed things, but like it now. One area, and, and we talked to some before. I think my my boss and I butted heads yeah. a bit, uh, but like you can't hide that sound. So when that goes off, then you start getting like the other patrol bases close by. Hey, was that a IED? Was somebody in contact? You know, what's going on? So I figured word was going to get out and, uh, and it did well. And I also knew I was coming up on changing command anyway. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to get fired, might as well get fired a month For before. For being I... awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, I went back to the file one day and I just went into his office and I just said, sir, you know, can I talk to you? And he said, uh, he's like, yeah, what's up? And I was like, Sir, let's just kind of get the, I'm sure you probably know, and I didn't ask, but if, if you don't know, if no one said anything, I was like, I'll authorize, you know, a main gun round being fired, and I know what a big deal that can be, and it has to get the approvals that I didn't get, but uh, I felt the situation on the ground, and he cut me off. He was like, Jeff, yeah, I know you did. It's been handled. Nice. And I was like, all right, nice. yeah. I figured he was probably going to say, Jeff, Jeff, don't say anything more. I don't want to know. Just <laughs> yeah, get the hell out yeah. of my office I right now. That, that sounds like what he's doing, but it was so, it sounds like a mission oriented kind of guy though. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it was needed. Uh, necessary evil kind of guy. Not always. That's, <laughs> where, uh, that was, that's what was a surprise. So yeah. I don't know if it was a, I don't know. He just told me he knew and to never talk about it again. So. Well, you just did on the Mentors from yeah, Military yeah. Podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that was 15 years ago, man. Sorry, <laughs> sir, whoever yeah. you may be. Yeah. Uh, he's probably uh, retired now, sitting out in Palm Beach, Florida, chilling or whatever anyway. Yeah, he is. We actually, you know, we, we butted heads. Uh, there was never any secret about that. But he also, uh, he hated the way we went about things because of what we learned on Hypha Street. We were kind of, not unorthodox, I want to take it that, but we took the lessons learned in the TTPs from there, which may not have been traditional, conventional as him being an armor guy his entire career. So we always disapproved of the ways we wanted to go about things. But nine out of 10 times, he would oh, do it your way, do it your way. And most of the time it was right. And if we weren't, then he would yell at me. Mm. Uh, but there was just some other stuff that happened where no one left on good terms after that. Uh, but we did, we had a good conversation right after the book came out. And ironically, me and his wife were friends on Facebook. She was like friends with everybody and everybody hated him. And then she reached out to me one day and she said, you know, you two need to talk and get this all behind you. And we had a great two hour conversation. And That's it awesome. Doesn't change some of the things that he sure. did or said back then, but doesn't change some of the things I did or said. To yeah, but you, you have a point where now you can move forward. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, right. And not hold on to that, that crap from before. Yeah, so did you get tanker boots when you came back? 
No, I was really disappointed. Like everybody, (laughs) I would have totally got you tanker boots. I'd I'd have went down. They were supposed to because I'm like I even told the guys I'm like, hey guys, when I change command, you know, normally you take the guide on and you give it to the commander. I'm like that guide on goes with first sergeant. Yeah, he's been around longer. Don't even think about giving me that. All I want is a pair of tanker boots so I can talk shit the rest of my life. And nobody ever gave. Never did. Yeah. You could have got the straps with the buckles and everything. I hated the damn boots, by the way. I was in armor, and I hated those stupid boots. I thought they were ridiculous. But I always thought they looked like um, Velcro shoes. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they, they like, did. The tanker can't tie his shoes, so he's got to have Velcro. That kind of thing. It's probably true. <laughs> yeah, my favorite boots, actually, back in the day, you know, wore black boots, was um, German boots. And when you got a chance, if it wasn't for the uh, jungles, you know, of course, yeah. I love jungles, oh, but... Yeah. Um, my, my second favorite pair were German boots. Cause when you were over there in the cold and everything, those things kept your feet warm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they looked a hell of a lot better cause they were bulkier and everything and such. Yeah. But the tinker boots, it was just like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I probably, no offense for those guys that like wearing their tanker boots from back in the days. It's just not for me. So. Yeah. I just thought it would have been a great, well, I wanted to bring, you know, the, the casing home, but of course you can't, you can't do that. Yeah. I was like, what a great cigar. Like talk about a conversation starter. So I couldn't do that. And I'm like, that's not one like a, but somehow there's must be, I've seen casings before and you're not supposed to have them, but I don't know how they got them, but it's always a way. Joe's uh, (laughs) Joe is a resourceful little, yeah, little bad. Joe Joe will get some stuff home. (laughs) Joe will get some stuff. home. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's just, again, again, back to like kind of the whole, you know, about this conversation, like there's so many things that happen that you can't put in the book. Uh, not that you can't, there's just not enough space stuff gets cut out. Heck the first edit, I tried to call out like every person that I ever served with friend. And like the first thing the editor came back with Jeff, I took out 250 names. You made it so damn confusing to follow by (laughs) trying to acknowledge everybody. And I get why you're doing it, but we got to take that stuff out. So yeah, there's just, again, so many other, you know, there's the one thing we were texting about that, I don't know, and I don't want to bring it up and be vague because then it sounds like, but just wild, wild stuff, you know, our, our boy did with them, but just no conversations and the talk of kind of how, hey, we got this idea, we can maybe work together. So anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, you still stay in contact with that first sergeant you talk about? Because oh, yeah, I think at yeah. one time frame, we were talking about bringing him on here. Yeah, yeah. We still need to do that to get him on one time. That would mean that is a... Look, he was one of the best men in my wedding. Uh, you know, me, him, two of my old squad leaders uh, had this hilarious ongoing text message thread for years now. And just some of the crap that gets brought up is hilarious. Uh, so we have this running joke. One of the guys, he's a, he actually lives pretty close to me now. Uh, one of my old squad leaders. And he moved on to be a you know platoon sergeant of a different platoon. But uh he lives a couple hours from me and he's real into bowling now and he's in these bowling leagues and he wants to know if Legion eight or if I can, you know, sponsor him and get him some cool swag. And so I'm like, yeah, as long as I get to put your name on the back of whatever Jersey you wear, you know, that's the deal I'll, mm-hmm. I'll pay for it. And so the guys had this joke. Uh, they always called me, uh, and this is again, go back to 2007. It was the shocker was really funny mm-hmm. and cool and everybody was doing it. So, you know, in the company garrison around just our people, no one ever called me Sir Legion Six. It was always Shocker Six is how they called me. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I told uh, told my boy that, like, you got to put Shocker Six and explain that to everybody on your on your bowling jersey. But, uh, yeah, man, he is he's just awesome, man. He's uh, just what a man. I mean, like, if 
the, the best way to sum it up is I tell every, like, he, he would go to a lot of the Legion 8 events with me, and I'd look everybody in the room, and I'm like, if you ever have your son or daughter going to the military, you want a person that cares this much to, uh, to be responsible for them and to show them how things should be done. Uh, he's, he's hard as hell, man. That guy. Uh, how long did he end up staying in? Beyond 23, 25 years, okay. maybe. Yeah, he was in, got out for a while, uh, then he came back. And uh, he's one like, he went through ranger school at 40. Oh, and, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at there in the mountain phase, and probably still in the Sunday, while he wanted to get him on. I think I texted you this one night. Like, he got stung on the tip of his dick by a bee in mountain phase and, like, still finished everything. <laughs> so he's incredible. Definitely got to get him yeah, on yeah. here about I'd, that story. I'd, I'd yeah. out at that point. I've heard yeah, all so kinds of different was, things, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he is a piece of work, man. But the, the men just worshiped him. And so that's why when I mentioned that earlier about the guide on, that's not like me trying to be some humble officer. Like that is anybody with a pulse or any sense, any bit of common sense looked around like what made it so special was, you know, it was a lot of things and it was a lot of people, but the core of that was all Orlando. Very, very cool. Very and cool. and it's always good when you have someone like that that's a, a really strong leader that knows how to build teamwork and everything else. That Then you guys go on and you build this relationship while you're on active duty and you transition out and you're able to still stay in contact and live close enough with them. But Because um, that seems to be one of the rare things. People make a transition and then they don't um, you know, end up uh, hanging out or connecting with, you know, some of the former guys that they serve with. I don't know. Do you stay in contact with quite a few of them today? Um, I am in somewhat contact with uh, a couple guys. I'm really close with one of my soldiers who, you know, I kind of brought up. Um, and then I know I have a phone call away to my first senior scout that I ever had. That was mm -hmm. in my, the alpha section leader that was in my platoon. Um, we haven't talked much lately, but I mean, I can reach out at any time. And if I needed something, he'd be yeah. readily available. Um, and it's just it's one of those things where you kind of grow apart, but you don't forget each other, and you know that they're there. And also, one of our uh, fisters that was in my platoon we deployed, I could call him right now, and yeah. he would. But, I mean, the, what you have with that, that ongoing text message thing, that's got to be therapeutic. Oh, it's great. I mean, there's serious stuff. And yeah. then we got some with, you know, you know, some of the other guys I was platoon leaders with and XOs, there's like all these different ones. And, and most of the time it's just, I always laugh. I tell the guys like, I'm one of those dorks who carries two phones and I have a work phone. Work phone and a personal. Yes. Yeah. And the reason I have a personal phone is because of all the crap that you guys send me that I don't want big brother looking out on my company phone <laughs> and getting <laughs> fired. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so most of it's funny, but yeah, stuff comes up every now and then and it's just talk or at least to a phone call. And, uh, you know, yeah, man, it's, you know, I think I t may have mentioned like he almost passed from COVID like early on. Oh, you didn't yeah. mention that. Oh hmm. man. He was like one of the few, like, you know, full, uh, you know, respirator for a week. Like went on a vent. Yeah. Wow. On a ventilator for a week. And I mean, they were basically told us like, he's not going to make it. But of course that tough son of a bitch, man, he, <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, he just, uh, he's just an amazing, amazing guy. What's what's going on now with you? Uh, you know, I know you're doing the speeches and stuff like that still, but what's the next step? You're gonna write a different book? I mean, you did a pretty damn good job on the first one. So have you thought about doing something different? Or Lauren did a really good job. <laughs> 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 to clarify that. Uh, 
you know, yeah, I mean, I went in and added my piece to it, but 95, and that would be probably a conservative number, you know, were her words. Uh, and I think I may have like, so people are always, and maybe it's just a talking point. People are always like, so inner, I always want to know, like, what's it like? How do you, what is the process of writing a book? And Lauren and I had a really cool one where I went and just spent a day with her and, you know, we knew each other a little bit. She knew about the story. She had done a blog on Legion eight, but we literally just, Went to a coffee shop for four hours in the morning, stopped, went and had lunch, then went to a different coffee shop in the afternoon. And I just talked the whole day, like from here's me as a kid. And so she took that conversation and went back to what she felt would be a good framework for the book. So she came back with 12 or 13 different, call it chapters. And then we would set up like once a month, you know, every couple of weeks based off how long it took her to write it. Then we would go through and like, I would just talk and she would record that specific period. And that's where we would get into more detail of that piece. And then those conversations, she would push me or challenge me. Like, I think you're holding something back. What else is there? Did you forget anything? Which I would go home and start thinking about stuff. Uh, things would come back and, you know, get a beer or two or me, you know, get sappy, remind something. And so, yeah, so that's kind of how we went through the whole process. Uh, and, you know, then when it's all said and done, you kind of got to put it together. And what was, cool about as you mentioned like how the the ending kind of ties everything together yeah like everything we met in person everything was over the phone except for the last thing and i just remember telling her i'm like you know or you're a much better writer than i am but i probably could have written everything up to this point because it's kind of like stating events that happen like now what where i need help is and again she did a hundred times better job than i could have stating those facts but i'm like i need help like how to tie this all together and so that's why she was so held down on the name because she had just gone and wrote all that and just tied it into together. We will rise. And, uh, I just remember reading it and just, uh, just being in tears, man, about like, you know, this is everything that I was trying to encapsulate and, and she did it, you know, primarily in that one chapter. And so, yeah, so, uh, for another book, ironically, I was just talking to her a couple of weeks ago and if I'm wondering how much you two have been talking because <laughs> the, last thing, the last thing out of her mouth, she's like, so when are you going to do book number two? And, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's a logical thought, you know, the, it's funny. So she, I think you may, she lives in Turkey now and, uh, she's very, doing very well as an author, but she's also doing very well in business. Yeah. She's in a, in uh like helping small, uh, helping other businesses grow or yeah. something like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very, very talented woman. And, and so one of the things that there, there's a gap over there is like in Europe, that is like this is according to her. She's like, that's where I think maybe there's an opportunity for you and some others, but like they need more like people with a military background writing leadership books. Mm. I was like, wow, if you walk into any Barnes and Noble in America, you will see yeah. 250. You'll, you'll over yes. Yes. That's oh, all yeah. there are. Uh, so that was why, you know, that's an, a logical next step. Would it do something like that? I just think the market's so saturated yeah. uh, that what would you, you know, without trying to be too different to make a point. Uh, but then I also, I'm somewhat being a hypocrite again because I always say like when I give talks and we talk about stuff in here, nothing I say is unique. There is nothing that I have ever said in a speech or, you know, a podcast or writing the book that hasn't been said before in some other manner. You know, the difference is sometimes, as we know, people connect differently with different voices and different stories. And so, you know, maybe if I did write a leadership book like that, it might resonate with, you know, this person that, you know, and not with that person. So it's on the table, but I mean, yeah, I mean, work keeps me busy, you know, 
four kids. Uh, I got one that's a junior in high school, and I got one that's about to be eight in July, another one that turns five in 10 days. And then my little girl, she turns four next month. So between Dennis, soccer, dance, uh, gymnastics now, Ninja Zone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so has the eldest read the book yet? Yes, he has. What do you think? It was uh, – so he's a great kid. I and mean, this is not just dad sandwich. Like, you know, he's 16. He's willing to games. Uh, makes, you know – all A's, uh, just, just a great kid, uh, but kind of quiet, you know, like keeps his emotions, you know, kind of like his old man, not one to express it. Uh, I know it, it was hard on him. Not as much the combat stuff. Like he basically had to read about me. your, your reaction to the stuff that happened. No, I think he had to, you know, he knew about it. Uh, he's enough to understand it. My, my ex and I get along great. Uh, you know, it's as it's good as a situation as, you know, co-parenting can be. Uh, and, but still like, you know, he was 15 when he read it. A 15 year old had to read about his mom and dad meeting, falling in love and then falling out of love and getting divorced. You know, that was, yeah. that was tough on him. Uh, but, you know, and I told him that beforehand, you know, the other stuff, you know, there was stuff that he, he knew some of the stuff I went through, but not all of it. So he admitted that was hard and, uh, I just said, are you glad you did it? And he said, I'm really glad I did it. And, you know, I don't really, I know sometimes I try to put myself in his shoes. Like part of his teenagers were like, cool, I can go tell my friends. My dad did all this crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, he had to read about that stuff with me and his mom. So I know that was, was hard, but, uh, Sometimes the hard thing to do is the right thing to do. And, you know, he was going to find out about it. He already knew about most of it anyways, but, right. yeah. you know, he's going to have to deal with it at some point. So, uh, you know, we, we let it be his choice. You know, my ex and I talked about it. It wasn't, you know, me, you know, when you think he's ready, because she had read it as well. Uh, so, yeah. I, I think um, I may have asked you that question or we talked about it offline and I can't remember which it was, but so I wanted to bring that up again. I mean, because, there's also something within that that you just uh, talked about, which is, you know, a lot of people when they um, civilians, when they meet military personnel, especially within the private sector, they automatically um, hear, oh, you went to combat. Oh, OK. Did you kill somebody? There's this normal pattern of conversation that then yeah. ends up, you know what I'm talking yeah. about, that ends up coming out. So, you know, I was I was listening to you and hearing what you were describing initially about, you know, there are things he knew about you, but yet it's also hard for sometimes for people to read a book that gets into such great detail, um, put you in a, uh, into that character, that person, yeah. your life, you know, experience and such that is foreign. It's not something that they're used to. And, and I think in a way there is a lesson there. Because there is, a, there shouldn't be an us in them. They're, you know, they're civilians and military. Right. I'm talking about or veterans, and you know, we could bridge that divide a whole lot better. But I think also there's, you know, within that there are life lessons, leadership lessons. There's the reality of how a person lives their life and the, the uh, struggles they go through, either in or out of the military, and yep. and that's that's something that you can gain. Period. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, we touched on this before. The whole goal is like, if, if we're going to do this, I want it to be raw. I want to like talk, you know, in many ways, things that don't paint me in a good light. You know, the stuff that always, 
because Lawrence is like, what do you want to, what do you want this to be about? And it's like, I don't want, you know, the, the veteran with his grunt style t-shirt, you know, to be the only audience that we, and I'm not knocking that. I'm just yeah. hitting a picture. <laughs> Let me clarify that. You know, I also want the message, you know, like to resonate with, you know, the suburban housewife, you know, on the beach and vacation in Destin reading the book. And I thought we'd do that just by being raw and being vulnerable and opening up those things that you're right. There is no us versus them. Like, you know, a lot of the stuff we talk about, like meeting someone falling in love. Yeah. That happened and falling out of love, you know, over, over deployments, but it happens in everyday life as well. It's the same things that everybody goes through. And, you know, so what's weird about it is like, there was, there was nothing like, I guess maybe net new that came out of the book. Maybe it was just having it all like together. And there was everything in the book I had talked about with somebody before. I had never talked with one person about everything. Mm. And so it was a really weird thing. Like my mom reading the book, my wife reading the book and like finding out stuff about me that they didn't know. And how someone, you know, obviously, you know, Lauren and I became friends through the process, but there was just this weird stretch of like, I've poured like, you know, everything good and bad in this person that I've known for a year. So, uh, so yeah, so, but I think, and again, back to what's the lesson learned. My kids always hate it. I'm always just like, what's the lesson learned of this? You know, and the lesson learned is like, you know, not everyone has to write a book. Not everyone has to give speeches. And I say this when I do talk and I'm like, but if you keep this stuff, if we can get into it, I think why people have problems. But like the more we keep stuff like pin up inside us all the time, again, I use the shadow analogy, the more we want to act like it didn't happen. It's easy to just forget that period of our life. Well, you know, it doesn't have to be combat. It could be a traumatic childhood. It could be right. marriage, divorce, bad job. There's, yep. there's all kinds of things. And the natural response is, I just want to put that behind me. But, you know, you have to come to terms with that in some way. And, you know, not only, I think, do you, if you keep it pinned up inside of you, it just digs its claws into you even more and makes it that much harder to yeah. deal with. But once you, you know, em- but the term embrace doesn't mean like, hell yeah, I went through shit. You know, I don't mean it like that. It's like right. just em- embrace the experience that it's a part of who you are. Uh, and it's never going away and like it's liberating once you accept that and make that choice and then I also think in doing that you know and, and again tying it full circle back to the book open it up to lore and open up speeches whatever everybody I always say everybody goes through shit you know everybody has a story but we always seem to want to like categorize well, what I went through is nothing compared to what you you went through and so on and so forth but I always say like you never know when what you've been through and what you have to say is exactly what someone else needs to hear. But if you're too busy dealing with it pent up inside of you, then you're going to miss every opportunity put in front of you for the rest of your life to help make a positive impact in the life of someone else. So again, not write a book, not, you know, do whatever, just don't be afraid to share and to be vulnerable. Yeah, no, that is a, that's a great, that ending right there is a great takeaway because I feel like, um, even in within the private sector or when you end up transitioning, it doesn't have to be, again, these um, horrific and challenging experiences in that way. It could just be a life lesson that you, you lived, that you're passing on, that you're being vulnerable and sharing a story mm-hmm. of it that happened to your own personal life that, hey, I just want to give you, you know, comfort in knowing you, you can make a wrong decision here, but you're young enough that you can recover. It's not the end of the world. You're going to sit there and try to make a life decision and determine, should I go this way or that way in a career path? 
it doesn't really matter yeah. because there's nothing to say that the one that you're going to choose is going to be the right one. Even if you do make that decision, yep. you're just never going to know uh, those unknowns. But if you can actually, like you said, pour your heart out, share your own personal stories. And, and that's why I wondered if, you know, when your son was reading the book, if that's some of the things he took away too, is like, maybe I don't understand this gave me an idea of understanding a little bit more, you know, like in the case of my own uh, father and stuff, there was stuff I didn't realize in his childhood that I'd learned about a little bit later, but then even also understanding through studying family generations, even prior, there was a pattern that also took place. So, you know, sometimes these stories, there's deeper things, there's stuff Mm -hmm. that's going on that when you start pulling back the veil, you get to understand a little bit more and, we talked about this, uh, well, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, when you came on the podcast as a guest. Oh, it was it was a way to memorialize my experience mm-hmm. and me not have to tell the story to, you know, uh, 800 times to 800 people. Right. I could tell yeah. it one time. And, like, if you want to learn something, just, you know, if you're, if you're ever wondering. Yeah. Episode, I, don't, I forget what it is. Yeah, I'm not the only one. <laughs> so whatever. I'm vindicated. What I'm yeah. impressed yeah. by is when people come on here and they go, yeah, I was on uh, episode uh, 187. I'm like, what? You remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Then, you know, they... Maybe they looked it up before they came in. I don't know, but we should get a list just to keep with the stuff. (laughs) But no, 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 you're right. I think in, uh, but sometimes even it could be as simple as um, you don't have to have be on a podcast. You don't have to have wrote a book. You know, it's just more of being vulnerable, open yourself up, you know, and uh, sometimes those things can be very impactful to the person on the other end of that Mm -hmm. communication. Yeah. And I think that, and just, you know, again, I touched on the, you know, the power of mindset and just keeping a positive mindset, uh, and surrounding yourself around like-minded, positive people. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I, we all, like, there's, you know, I got a great job. I won't say this company. I won't say it's my last company. I'll just say I have worked. You know the type. Like, they're always bitching about something. It's always negative. And guess what? The same group of people seem to gravitate to that, and they have their own little bitch fest over here. You know, then you have the, like, overly kumbaya people over here. You know, it's, it's just fake. They're just trying to say it so they get a good review. You know, but just, like, fine you know, find like-minded people that are positive, but also don't be afraid to have, you know, we kind of text them back and forth on, uh, you know, why is it so hard to like, let go of things and change things? Like sometimes you know what you know, and it's hard to open your mind and actually take the time to think about where the other person's coming from. It's easier to gravitate towards like-minded people. So there's a balance there between, you know, like what I'm saying is surround yourself around positive people, but don't be afraid to understand where the other side's coming from. Uh, Take the time to learn. Yeah, yeah, because you never know. Like, I mean, sometimes, you know, like I, I listen to all views on everything because I, I don't want to be one of those persons that's indoctrinated because I watch the same channel every night and everything <laughs> they say is true. And uh, and that works for both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, just like I may disagree with it, but, you know, how can I go and encourage my kids to learn, challenge themselves, push themselves, and I'm not going to continue to do the same thing at 48. Yeah. And it's frustrating as hell sometimes, but, uh, you know, you got to set the example, right? Yeah, absolutely. definitely. Man, I appreciate you coming all this way. You had a very um, difficult day. Just an arduous um, journey <laughs> to get here. Yeah. 4 a.m. wake up and I got stuck in a middle seat because of you from <laughs> after, after the nice up in the front of the plane that I was initially supposed to be on. Yeah, he had a, he had nice a terrible day, man. Seat, but no, nah, I'm kidding, man. No, I'm, 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 I'm glad you're here. I'm yeah. glad we got a chance to connect once again. Um, glad we this time we kept it a little bit lighter, but oh, we also yeah. got deep in some yeah. areas. Yeah. And 
but I think the, there's some valuable lessons here as well um, throughout. Tons of different stuff that you dropped along the way, especially here in the last couple of minutes of the episode and stuff. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I appreciate you coming back. Nah, nah. I, uh, can I sign off as Red Tooth Lima? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, I mean, again, you know, I'm just a huge fan of what you guys are doing here and humbled, uh, you know, that you thought enough to have me back on and appreciate the audience, all the other guests that come on. I love doing it. You know, I've been able to connect with a few of them as well. Uh, so don't ever stop what you're doing. Yeah. So is this the Red Tooth Lima out? Red Tooth Lima out.